This is Don't Learn to Code, a podcast from BP Logics. Welcome. I am Dale Franks. And I am Bonnie Walker. And welcome to the first inaugural edition of our new podcast. It's a, a brand new venture we're trying here at BP Logics, and I, I, I guess it's a first episode. Which is great because no one ever listens to the first episode of anything. Yes, we'll make sure to take creative license with this one. Yeah, this is the this is the introductory version of the podcast. So basically, we're just sort of feeling our way through and trying to figure out. First of all, I have to figure out where to stand and where to or where to sit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just gonna knock everything over. <laughs> And just cause a whole bunch of background noise because I can't figure out stuff because I ain't got too much smarts. Yeah, wires are complicated. Gotta gotta watch out for those. Uh, we're I've just sitting wires. in a nest of wires right now, folks. That's, we're just... I, I'm expecting us to be electrocuted sometime around 15 minutes into this thing. Let me just pop open a cold drink and we're ready to go. Foosh, and we die. So, who are we? Well, I guess we have to explain that before we do anything else, because why would you want to listen to us if you didn't know who we were? The dulcet so, tones of our voices. <laughs> yes, dul- dulcet. Dulcet. Eh, we wish it was dulcet. Um, who are you? Um, I am Bonnie. Um, I transcend uh, title and gender. Um, but on on this plane of reality, I'm also the director of marketing operations for BP Logics. And I'm Dale Franks, and on this plane of reality, I am the business solutions manager for BP Logics. Yeah, so you are. Barney, uh, Barney, I, dude, I just called you Barney. It's like flashback to my elementary school days. <laughs> hey, Barn. <laughs> it's like, damn, that was, I was big, uh, big when the purple dinosaur was out, and I was in elementary school that, uh, yeah. Oh, that must have been awful for you. Yeah, it was horrible. Thanks for bringing it up. Thanks for bringing it up, Dale. I was called Professor. When oh, I was a kid. God, of course you were. <laughs> it's, a, it's a horrible nickname to give to a kid. No, are you kidding? Like the vaguely complimentary nickname? I was Barney. Yeah, in South Texas, professor is not vaguely complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. And now I, I actually am a professor, so it was a things have come full and circle. I am actually a purple dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Bonnie handles all the marketing, and I'm basically one of the primary touch points between the customer and our company. Um, How do I explain this? This is not technically a puff piece podcast for BP Logic. No, it's not. BP Logic sponsors it. We both work for BP Logics. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the company some, and we both like working here. It's true. So we're not going to say too many bad things about the companies, although. There are a couple of people, but no, we'll just let no. that go by. Yeah, they'll, they'll tase me otherwise. <laughs> so, But we want to talk about the industry in general, good things about BPM, and we want to try to do it in a way that's not boring and awful. Yep, yep, that right there, folks, is our challenge. Let's make BPM as adventurous and interesting as BPM can be. Woo! Yeah, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. What's a heaven's <laughs> for? I this is a hard topic to make interesting. We will try. And, of course, this is our first one. So I expect that what will happen is there'll be some evolution in what the podcast is and the sort of things that we talk about. And who knows? It may actually become structured and formalized, and we'll know what we're doing. Yep. In fact, one day, 
we may start doing show prep. It's shoot for the stars (laughs) is what I say. Shoot for the stars. Yeah, but let's not, you know, go. let's not be fanatics about it. Yeah, let's not go crazy. (laughs) So to start off with, I wanted to talk about just BPM in general and where we are. It's, It's very difficult when you first start a podcast, especially one that doesn't particularly have a subject and that hasn't, since it's the first episode, hasn't really gotten a life of its own uh, and hasn't gotten a personality of its own. So I just sort of pick something at random to start off with. And as time goes by, we get more comfortable with what we're doing. This will probably become a little more structured, Mm -hmm. at least from our point of view, and and easier to do. But And we are always interested in audience suggestions. So mom, you feel free to... uh, (laughs) Feel free to text me. <laughs> Feel free to text me. <laughs> so I have a feeling that might be the only person listening for this first one. <laughs> well, again, nobody ever listens to the first episode of anything. Absolutely. You have to have some. Are you saying she won't even listen? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to get comment. your hopes up, Barney. I'm not going to comment on your relationship <laughs> with your mom. But uh, you know, it, it's always awkward to start these things. It's true. I could make it more awkward. <laughs> But I won't. <laughs> uh, it's already awkward enough in that we're doing this in a, uh, it is a technically a recording studio. I mean, it does have the the egg crate stuff on the walls. Mm-hmm. It is tiny. We have recording equipment and all the other stuff in here. We have microphone stands and booms. You know what we don't have? Air conditioning. No, no. I'm sitting here sweating like a dog, folks. So this will thankfully be a short podcast anyway. <laughs> They suffer for my art. So now you know who we are and what the point of the podcast is. We're here to talk about BPM and not just BPM because that's really boring and it's really too restrictive. But just there's going to be like some BPM advocate that is going to like listen to this and then come after us. They keep talking about how boring BPM is and BPM is amazing. I've made it my life. (laughs) Exactly. What are you trying to say about me? (laughs) You're trying to invalidate my whole lived experience. Experience, yeah. But you know what? That's it. It doesn't matter what you talk about. Doesn't matter what your podcast is. What the subject is. We live in a modern world where the perpetually offended will always find something about it. Well, let's just put it this way: there's always somebody. It's the internet. Yeah. It's just the next big show is not going to be HBO's BPM of Thrones. But there's always somebody who objects to something. There's, yeah. there's, there's literally no topic. You know, it's, it's, I, uh, I uh, give a monthly donation to an animal support or an animal rescue organization in Los Angeles mm-hmm. called Hope for Paws. Mm-hmm. And they have this whole YouTube channel, which is just them going out onto the mean streets of Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles and finding puppies and kitties and taking them and cleaning them up and getting them vet care and having them adopted. I can't imagine anything more wholesome <laughs> than that. And yet every single one of their videos, 100,000 views, 90,000 likes, 437 <laughs> yeah, dislikes. There's 437 <laughs> people who are like, screw that dog. Why didn't you let the dog <laughs> die? Why did you pick him up and love him and clean him? I am not on board for that. There's literally <laughs> nothing you can do on the internet. Podcast, <laughs> video, nothing that someone doesn't dislike. And, you know, the, like the the 
the comment section of YouTube is just famously a sewer. Yes, it is. Right? There, <laughs> there's a special breed of troll that lives under the videos of YouTube. So somebody will dislike what we do, but hopefully someone will like, like what it. we do. <laughs> the chances may be small, but, but, but we always have to have hope that things will go right. So anyway, what I, what I ran across this week that I thought was fascinating for a couple of reasons uh, is BPM.com did a article called The Year Ahead, 2019 Predictions from Top Influencers. And now in April, we've decided to address it. <laughs> from January 22nd, we have three months later said, hey. This been, is something there was a mulling period where we absorbed the information and drew our own conclusions. And now we think it's, it's, it's fermented enough that our observations... This will be now the will be kimchi of discussion. <laughs> so the weird thing about this is how little agreement there is among, and they have a whole bunch of BPM, mm-hmm. presumably experts, mm-hmm. because why would BPM.com be quoting them, including one of our own, Scott Minter. Yep, there uh, he is. Who is, of course, an expert, and everything he said was absolutely true. Yeah, and but we agree Scott with thinks 100%. he's an expert on everything. <laughs> um <laughs> I did not agree with that statement, so if anyone <laughs> happens to be listening, hmm. opinions stated by the hosts are solely their own. <laughs> yeah, soon there'll, there'll be a second host coming in next week. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the weird thing about it is there's just no agreement in what 2019 holds. There mm-hmm. are well, I, I wouldn't say there's no agreement. No, there, I, there is some general agreement that machine learning and AI is going to be a big, big thing. There's yeah. no agreement on what machine learning and AI is. Yeah, however. yeah. I, I agree. And you know what? From my standpoint, it'll also be interesting to see how much of this talk of machine learning and AI is just marketing speak. And I can talk about that um, till the cows come home. You know, a lot of people are just shoving AI and machine learning into the marketing talk and they want to put it out there because everybody else has it out there. But how useful is it? And is it a big thing because everybody is vying to say they have it? And so they're dropping it into their marketing copy or is it a big thing because it's actually going to be used by the customer base and and 2019 is going to be a transfer transformative year for the implementation of these pieces you know it's really hard to to even answer that number one i think companies do a god-awful horrible job of explaining what machine learning and AI is. Mm-hmm. And most of the people in the business world who are not tech people and who are not familiar with it, uh, they only know of AI from what they see in you know, Star Trek mm-hmm. or what was the, the movie, uh, uh, Ex Machina, um, <laughs> where it's like a, a or real- Skynet. Like, yeah, or <laughs> Skynet, the most famous example. And so they don't really know what it is. They don't know how to use it. The other problem is, even if they do know what it is and they do know how to use it, they don't have the math background to implement it. Well, and I think that that's a problem when it comes to this convergence of low code and machine learning is 
is you have these, in a lot of ways, two pieces on opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what they're offering and how to marry the two so that it benefits the customer is is the art to it. And I don't believe that most organizations have managed that. And most organizations don't have a quant sticking around who knows what the different types of or algorithms are or how to use the algorithms. Because ideally, what is good about machine learning, and let's not even talk about AI because I'm not even sure that there is a generally accepted agreement about uh, what AI means. Th- this is my understanding, is AI is an overreaching term that touches a lot of different aspects. Machine learning is a component under that umbrella, corporation, <laughs> of AI and 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 it speaks to a certain subset of of amenities therein. Like I I could be wrong about that. I am no, like, you're you're right about that. It's just that AI is a very nebulous sort of amorphous concept. Right. It includes a lot of stuff. Right. Like natural language processing would fall under the That's umbrella of yeah. AI. So would machine learning. So would the Terminator. <laughs> Rule of threes in comedy, folks. Natural, natural <laughs> language processing. All, all I can all I can think of whenever somebody talks about natural language processing is um, the Star Trek movie where Scotty goes in and sits down in front of the Mac, and he picks up the mouse and says, "Hello, computer." <laughs> computer. <laughs> Little before the time of natural language processing. <laughs> the thing is, what I think most people really are concerned about, what they should be concerned about, is the ML part of it, that piece of it, because that piece is understandable. I've got a whole bunch of data. Let's say I've got a whole bunch of sales data. Let's say I've been tracking my sales process, maybe in Salesforce. That's a great example because Salesforce can track everything. I know who I've talked to. I know what department they're in. I know how many demos of my product I've given them, how many were were custom demos. I know who the decision maker at the company was, whether I was talking to the decision maker or not. I've got all of this data. And it's great to have all this data. If I ever want to go back and look historically, what happened with this sales process with this company? Great. I I have that. And I've had that for years. I've had that. I mean, you know, uh, my wife was working on Salesforce in what the 80s, mm-hmm. 90s. Um, what I need to know is what does that tell me about the future? So what if I have all of this data? What if I could make it predictive? That's the power of machine learning, the ability yeah. not to look in the past, but to actually take all that past data and to find those things that are common and to say, hey, if you've given three demos and one custom demo, your chances of selling that customer is historically 95%. Right. Okay, now I've got a, a prediction of a close rate. And now I know, okay, well, if I can get the guy through these steps in the process, I've got an excellent chance of selling this to him. That's the power of ML because it just takes all of this historical data and you find those data points, a lot of which is you know trial and error, trying to find out which data points are important because you may not know ahead of time. So you have to monkey around with the screws and levers. Mm-hmm. But once you find those data points that are predictive, then you've got something reliable that tells you if you do X, Y, and Z, your chances of a sale are in excess of 90%. Yeah, and I feel like right now there are a lot of people who are sitting on a mass of data that they don't know what to do with. And the potential to do 
these predictive kind of forward thinking initiatives are huge. But going back to what we were talking about earlier is there needs to be a way to, God, I, I hate using this metaphor, but you know, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time you know oh that's such a a tired metaphor but in this case I do think it applies where an easy way to start that like how do you step in that direction how do you use your BPM tool at hand to to work the application better the application make it more dynamic make it more intelligent without having to you know bring in this this whole set of what were you calling them quants data scientists yeah, yeah. so I- exactly bringing this whole set of fleet of people that they might not have the resources to work toward and I think that that is the promise that low code should keep true to because as a premise low code is is trying to create more autonomy and more uh, you know more customization without this heavy lifting, right? So as you bring the AI or machine learning components in, I think keeping true to that baseline promise is necessary for the longevity of its interactions with BPM. That means that you're going to have to do a better job of explaining what the various algorithms are, what they do, how they work, right? so that your average business analyst can say, okay, I guess this sounds like the best algorithm to use. Right. And the the nice thing is most of these algorithms are standardized to a very large degree. Right. I mean, they're they're well-known statistical analysis algorithms. And so, you know, even if you've taken probably stats too, um, even though you're not a quant, you're kind of required to do it in business school (laughs) and whatnot. Um, I can tell you horror stories about my experience with uh, (laughs) stats and probabilities and whatnot in in graduate school. But the the point is, once you understand those, it becomes a lot simpler to use them. But that puts the onus on the companies to explain, this is what the math is doing for you. And this is why you would pick this particular algorithm rather than another algorithm if you want to do x this is probably your best bet right and you need this kind of data right and you need to be able to explain it in a way that the average business analyst even if they don't understand what the algorithm is and they don't understand how it works or what it's doing you can explain to them and they have to take it on faith like it's you know the bible okay well i guess this is how it works so if i pick this and i pick this data i should come up with something predictive right I, yeah, I, I think that that is a fair baseline to as a as a you know like keep going back to that promise of that BPM should keep true to. Um, but you know, going back to the whole 2019 um, predictions, I don't know that most organizations are there as far as this is our. We are acquiring a product to do to solve this problem. This is the watershed year yeah, for AI. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sure I don't true. think I don't think it is. I think we're still a few years off. I I can see I can see coming in and and still kind of cleaning house and modernizing. I see making you know the applications more 
more dynamic, more specific. Having predictive analytics have a play in them, but I'm not sure that this is the year where we're going to have like, you know, sentient applications that are <laughs> are going to be <laughs> howling all over the place. <laughs> well, I, again, that goes back to our original problem. What is AI? What is ML? How is it usable for me? Mm-hmm. And I don't think the industry as a whole has made a very good, understandable case to the average non-math person as to why that's important. We just assume it is because we see things um, in the news, like there was a, a deal that was out a couple of months ago that by 2030, 45% of all middle managers will be replaced with artificial intelligence. <laughs> Okay, and then by 2035, the entire transportation industry will be run through driverless cars. So if you're a truck driver or a train conductor or presumably a pilot, you're just out of a job. Right. In 15 years? Yeah, I I do feel like people are accelerating the, the... People are not taking into account with these types of predictions just the inertia of process <laughs> like the, it takes time for these things to change and as much as I'm things are changing quickly there it's it's in spurts and starts and I feel like that that wave is might be true for certain organizations yeah and for certain Amazon subsets. for Google right but for the every like let's say the average company the the average Joe who it has a business problem that they're looking to solve and they're coming to market in 2019 are they looking to take that massive data to train it up or are they looking to get their document management system in order yeah. or are they looking to exactly. marry the both of them into some sort of you know beautiful symphony of amenities who knows well you see here's the thing the problem we're still addressing is the problem of here's how we request leave this is the process that the owner's secretary gladys came up with in 1973 exactly Exactly. like we have not exited that phase and these forward-thinking um these forward-thinking folks which i love them and like bpm futurists oorah let's stay with that you have to have that because if if you don't have those people there's not going to be any progress right at, at all right but when we're coming back to the 2019 predictions there might be a ton of inquiries around rpa and there might be a ton of interest around ml but does that mean that the the joe on the ground who's working with gladys's you know time off like i'm still carrying pieces of paper (laughs) from one office to another to get physical signatures on a piece of paper exactly it's like is that going to be the thing where they're like we're gonna we're gonna fix gladys's issue and we're gonna drop and we're gonna do it with ai (laughs) exactly we're gonna we're gonna predict the next time phil wants to get a sick (laughs) day you know what i mean like i'm not sure that we're there yet that being said having something that will have the capability for when that process is fixed to iterate up and make that whatever that is expanded into something that can utilize perhaps prediction or perhaps 
you know, even ML. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. Lay the groundwork to kind of level up into something that will be intelligent one day. Great. Awesome. But is that the, the problem at hand still? I'm not sure. Well, the other thing that, that crosses my mind whenever I hear these predictions of, you know, in 15 years, 40 million Americans will be out of work because of AI. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe. But I always go back to 1932. <laughs> By the year 2000, we'll have flying cars. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I only, I only feel like the worst part of George Orwell's 19. <laughs> 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 only the worst parts of that have come to fruition. We don't get any of the um, technological aspects. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I feel like. I feel like as much as I don't want to be like the practical brass tacks, anti-futurist, you know, focus, I do think that there are practical concerns for the every person that we need to stay true to in these predictions. You're not the only, you're not the only uh, pessimist about that, though, because one of my favorite quotes of this BPM.com article is from a guy from Camunda. Uh, who says, in 2019, I expect RPA to plunge into the trough of disillusionment. Jesus. (laughs) Thanks for for weighing in, sunshine. You know what? I love the hyperbole, though. (laughs) I am a sucker for hyperbolic talk. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm reading it now. The trough of disillusionment. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and he extends the metaphor with the appetite for automating business process, with a feast of opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> we will we will shimmy up to the salad bar of uh, different BPM options. Well, one of the weird things about whenever you look at any of these prediction articles mm-hmm. is how hyperbolic some of the people get. I mean, there's just you know, it's like whenever you 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 watch the. Uh, the figure skating, right? Mm-hmm. You throw out the lowest and the highest score. Mm-hmm. The diving, you throw out the lowest and the highest mm-hmm. score. So there's always an outlier in all of these articles. There was that one, and the other outlier that uh, got to me was, uh, oh, now I have to scroll through this page to to find out what this was. Uh, essentially, the idea was big change <laughs> will be the dominant process theme in 2019. <laughs> Incremental improvement, a.k.a. better sameness, won't save them from the existential threat of digital disruptive competitors. Only by launching large-scale process projects. Okay, calm down, Spark. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me, especially coming from somebody who's, you know, a vendor in this industry, it's hard for me to read that as anything other than, you must give me all of your money now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He was like, large-scale Please come to us to uh, purchase these large scale <laughs> these large scale products. <laughs> it's like <laughs> saving saving twenty percent of the cost of your your recruitment process is nothing. <laughs> You're a fool sp- if you think that that's innovation. <laughs> I spit on your your low class BPM. You must transform the organization. You don't transform the organization from the top down. Right. You don't impose big scale transformation on organizations. You I know, think I you, think that, you, that that you don't tra- you don't transform from the top down as a baseline initiative is a great way of putting it. You transform with Gladys's <laughs> Gladys's envelope part time off. You know, built like basically like 
put your sheet into the Kleenex box to to let the part time off um, employer know. Like that's the that's the application that you start with. Yeah, one of the things that that I always cover with my students whenever we start talking about organizational change is yeah, you have to have buy-in from everybody at the top. Mm-hmm. That's It's going to fail without it. You know how else it's going to fail? Without buy-in from everybody from the top down. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to, to buy into the idea that I'm getting some sort of benefit out of this. And as stupid as it sounds, automating Gladys's I have to carry my leave request slip to my supervisor mm-hmm. and then to my department manager and then to HR and I have to waste half a day walking from office to office, replacing that with, I'm going to open up a form, I'm going to spend 30 seconds typing in, I want time off from this time to this time, it'll take four leave days, boom, submit it. Now I'm done. Right. I've done my thing. I'm going to get an email at some point in the future that says your time off request has been approved. Get out. Well, and I think that that is why HR can be such a powerful vehicle for change when you think of where you want to start your your kind of operational excellence initiative. Is It is a great testing ground for people to see and feel the effects because of HR this. touches everything exactly. in the business. Exactly. You reach out, you 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 experience what it is to a work the tech because you you are the user that's then, you know, touching that, but also be the that sense of oh god, thank god. That sense of relief that happens when you have that improvement. So the 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 proven or the buy-in it happens from the customer side of of the business user interacting with that HR portal. Right, because every time some employee says, hey, this new thing that we're doing is making my life incrementally easier. Right. Every time you show them something that makes their life incrementally easier, you're gathering buy-in. Right. Because that's how you ultimately say, I'm going to change the organization. Because if you don't change the culture of the organization, right, which is sort of that unwritten body of rules about how we interact with each other, how we do our jobs, mm-hmm. how our processes work. That stuff has to be attacked. And corporate culture is extraordinarily powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's inculcated in people when they come into the company. You know, if you go to a computer conference and you see a guy in a black suit with a black skinny tie and a white shirt, okay, he's an IBM guy. Mm-hmm. We know that because that's been the uniform for IBM since 1928. <laughs> that's their culture. Right. You know, and, and it, it was always funny back in the 70s. You know, you look at a picture of the big guys at IBM and their black suits and black ties. And then you look at, you know, Bill Gates guys at Microsoft and Albuquerque. I wasn't born the, in the 70s. The, well, the pictures <laughs> still exist. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, Bill Gates' guys are all of these neck bearded t-shirt wearing yeah. weirdos yeah yeah but i mean you're right about that is is like it, that corporate culture to to think that you can have the culture separate from the, the process. processes separate from the right. work separate from the personal interactions that people have right you know it's, it's really weird how corporate culture works and i bet everybody who is listening to this which at this point is you, my mom and <laughs> Everybody has had this experience. You go to work at a company. You've been there for a couple of years. They hire somebody new. You talk to the new guy. Some of the other employees around there talk to the new guy. And then you all get together in the coffee room when the new guy isn't around, and you all go, the new guy, kind of weird, huh? Mm. 
yeah, the new guy is weird because the new guy doesn't know how to respond to you. He doesn't know how you guys interact. Right. He's the weird new guy. Two years later, somebody else gets hired, and the the former new guy who's now been there for two years is the guy that's coming up to you at the at the water cooler and saying, hey, new guy's kind of weird, right? Except for me, I <laughs> am the evergreen new guy. <laughs> I am constantly weird and yeah, but, will never be thought of as anything else. Yeah, but is that your personality or just an affectation? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of column A, a little, a little bit, bit of column B. <laughs> <laughs> but that is called acculturation, and it's really powerful. And one of the reasons why we feel uncomfortable in a new situation, even if we're like experts in the work, right, is how do I deal with all of these people around here? Right. And it's not something we notice. It's not something we consciously deal with. Again, that culture is, keyword, unspoken rules that govern how everything happens at that company. By changing the way that you do your processes, you're fundamentally, at, at some level, changing the culture. I agree. And you have to prepare that culture for bigger change. And so being able, so, so coming out in, in like BPM.com and saying, well, you have to just do big change. Yeah, that's not going to work. But I, I would also argue that the processes can then more accurately reflect the best elements of the culture. So if you have, if you have a certain amount of processes that are maybe inhibiting Yes, there's going to be that kind of flip forward into a, a a cultural change, but also pulling from what are the greatest pieces. You know, maybe it's an intensely personal thing. Maybe a a HR application that is customized around that company culture can better reflect the personality of you know, whatever are these initiatives within within the organization and and grow out those those sweeter spots, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, you know, one of the wonderful things about BPM is that it is so flexible, Yeah, is that you can use it in a way that reflects your values, that reflects your culture, that reflects the way that you want to do business. Right. The, the ability not to be locked in to a solution. And, you know, back in the, the 1950s and the 1960s, well, heck, all the way back to Fred Taylor and the beginning of scientific management, the idea was let's, uh, let's force people into this box that we want. Right. And forcing people into that box has met with varying levels of non-success <laughs> uh, because people, A, don't like to be forced into those boxes, or at least they don't want to be you know, knowingly forced into those boxes. Um, once people are comfortable in a culture, that's the box they like. And yeah. you can change that box. You can expand it. You can change the shape of it. You can pull them out of the box mm -hmm. ultimately. But it's the, the idea of being able to lead them out of the box to say, hey, this place where I'm comfortable has been a nice place, but, but you've got to convince them that there's a better place that they can go. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think that people are you know, as a general rule, incredibly adaptable, and they can get used to a lot, even if it's suboptimal, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you were sentenced to a life in prison tomorrow, in five or six years, it would just be your life, I'd be good right? to go, you know? You know I just, just be, okay, I'd, this is I'd, my life. I'd read that same paperback and, um, yeah. I'm not sure I want to be that adaptable. <laughs> but my point is, so they adapt to, to, but like, for for example, if let's say a large portion of your workforce is traveling or remote or whatnot, and the process doesn't allow for them and a consistent interface with their circumstances, they might find ways to adapt and accommodate to the current 
current process culture of whatever organization. But if then there is a a change that occurs and they are then incorporated in and that lifestyle or those those habits are are accounted for and they feel more heard and they feel then more valued because they are then more specifically focused on and their lives become easier that is good for the organization and brings out the best parts of that culture and the other thing is is that it, it, it bpm at its best should cause management to go through a learning curve too mm-hmm. it should cause them to have a couple of aha moments mm-hmm. and say oh maybe if we did things maybe if we did change this would be better it's right. not just trying to train your employees you know pavlovian style <laughs> you know okay i want the new cool thing everybody has to take a part in it everybody yep. has to be trained in it and sometimes you get these these unsearched for but trans uh, transformative insights about how your business works mm-hmm. um you know I, I, I talked a few minutes ago about fred taylor and the scientific management guys and you know that whole thing was you know what can we do to the worker to make them more productive <laughs> <laughs> that was that was literally the question they make asked. them cold <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> well here's the thing uh western electric uh used to be the big electrical power utility provider and electrical equipment manufacturer until General Electric took over. Uh, but Western Electric, 1936, had a plant in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And all of these scientific management guys came in and they said, okay, well, we're going to, again, it was the, the idea is, what can we do to the workers to mm-hmm. make them more productive? And what they decided to do was monkey around with the light levels in the factory. And so they got the workers together, but they did it wrong. They made the mistake of calling all the workers in and saying, okay, we're going to be changing lighting conditions in the factory. We're going to measure its, you know, its uh, effect on productivity. And so every time we make these changes, we're going to ask you about things and ask you how you felt about it and whatnot. And we'll just come back to you, you know, on a regular basis and talk about it. And so they started off by increasing the light level in the factory. And they increased it a little bit and productivity went up. And they talked to the guys about what they felt about that. And, okay, great. Now, they increased it again, and productivity went up. <laughs> and they increased it, apparently, until it was like working on the surface of the sun, <laughs> and productivity still went up. And then they said, okay, well, and this is, by the way, over the course of like six years at mm-hmm. this factory. And then they said, okay, well, let's start lowering the light levels. And so they began to lower the light levels, and they talked to the employees about how they felt about this and how they felt it affected them, and productivity went up. And they lowered it to the point where everybody was lurking in the darkness doing their work and still productivity was rising. And so when you make it brighter, people get more productive. When you make it less bright, people get more productive. And they're like, what could possibly be causing all of these people to be getting more productive? But it turned out because they were listening to them. Exactly. They were talking to them. Exactly. And the workers felt, hey, my opinions must matter. Mm-hmm. They're making changes based on my input. And someone, after six years of this, by the way, <laughs> one of these management consultants said, perhaps if we consulted the employees about their desires. Interesting. Hmm, <laughs> maybe there are implications. Half a decade of research and we've come up with be a better listener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it turned out that, that what makes you a better company is not what you do to the workers, but what you do with them. And for them, 
And of course, that started the human relations movement in, in management, which still has not been fully fleshed out in some companies. But you know, prior to that time, the whole idea of being an employee was you come in here, you will work the way that we say you will work, and you will work for these hours. And if you quit or you displease us, we can have you blacklisted, so you'll never work in this industry again. See, and I feel like going back to what you were talking about earlier, that is going to be the piece in in 2019 that we see more and more of is is the specificity and the the way these applications are focusing on the individuals whether it's the customer or whether it's internal and how those they're built and react and uh, maybe are built upon and iterated within those are going to be the things that are more specific and more focused. Well, my point, and I did have one, was <laughs> that just like the Hawthorne experience, whenever you go into this, forget about the preconceptions that you have to it going in. Mm-hmm. Because making these changes, like I said, might provide you with some transformative insights about how your business works and how you can make it better in ways that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And you know, despite this guy saying, well, you have to go for the you know, the, 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 the big enchilada. Nah, maybe you don't. Maybe incremental change highlights the path to what the big enchilada is. The problem with going to the big enchilada right now is maybe that's not the enchilada you want. No, I mean, you have to inject BPM into your company like a poison. You, exactly. <laughs> you, you must have it just a pinprick and then it b- proliferates until the entire company is... <laughs> incapacitate or or in BPM's thrall. But that that I, I don't like that idea of you have to do the big thing. I, I, I think that's a recipe. It could be a recipe for success. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you do go for the big thing, I mean, it, it's quite possible that you could stumble across something super amazing. And that when you do so, it will fundamentally transform your company and throw you ahead of your competitors, and make you the next Amazon. I I suspect, however, that there is an equal possibility that you will go after the wrong big thing and you will place your company in peril. Because the problem with high-risk, high-reward scenarios is that high-risk part, that's the tricky part to get past. Well, you always have to start with something. You might have 10,000 different big things that you want to, to lay out. And perhaps your roadmap is, is, it looks like the five <laughs> during rush hour. But you always have to start with something. And so choosing that something and making that something a, a strategic launch point is as important as the end point. Well, you know, you're right. You do have to start with something, just as we have started the podcast with something. Yes. And uh, I guess we ended up in a rather unexpected place, and it went in directions that we didn't expect. But uh, overall, I think for the first one, it went in a a good direction. You're so wise, Dale. So wise. (laughs) Professor. Yeah, that's that's basically a a persona that I can put on as soon as the microphone is live. (laughs) And then as soon as it's off, I'm back to biting my own lips and chewing my finger. (laughs) Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. And thank you for listening, assuming that any of you are. We hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be making this a regular part of BP Logics' outreach. So we hope you stick around and listen to us. Until next time, have a great week or 
however long it's going to be till we do another one of these. <laughs> a week? Two weeks? Uh, yeah, let's say two weeks. Have a, have a great period of intervening time. All right, well, bye everyone. I love you, Mom. Talk to you next time. <laughs> bye. Thank you.